1: Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, I'm Ollie Mann. On the show this week, Spotify and Apple launch paid subscriptions for podcasters. What will that mean for the way audio makers get paid? News UK scale back the ambition of their TV service, again. We look at the state of television news. And BT Sport is looking for new ownership. We discuss who their suitors could be. All that, plus the runners and riders from the BAFTA and ARIA Awards announced this week and another shake-up to daytime at Radio 1. And in the Media Quiz, we celebrate the return of some familiar formats. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And joining me today to discuss all the goings-on in media land, we have making her media podcast debut, Charlotte Tobit, news editor of Press Gazette. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, Ollie. Hi. I'm so pleased to finally have you here because I always feel rather guilty that your byline appears on at least one story that we discuss in each episode and we've never had you on. So welcome. Thank you. A little bit of Press Gazette history is being turned to rubble, I gather.
2: Yes, this is quite a fun, well, fun in the sense that I enjoyed looking at Fleet Street history, but sad in the sense that we're losing some Fleet Street history in the a section of it's being demolished to make way of this grand justice quarter, but of course we're losing a fab old newspaper building and I'm not sure exactly if the birthplace of Prescusette is being demolished, but it's certainly that little Court, essentially, the little alley and and section of the road. Um, Yeah,
1: and pub, crucially.
2: Yeah, massive part of Fleet Street history, the pubs, of course.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and also the building's the home of the first ever print edition of the Sunday Times. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's a world-famous location. People still refer to Fleet Street, even though journalists haven't been there for a long time now. And the planning report from the City of London even says the appearance of the building makes a contribution to the look and history of the street, but they can't resist putting a skyscraper on it.
2: Yeah, well, well, it's not too high. I'm not sure a skyscraper is uh, the right way. But yeah, it's... it's- I and I understand the need to modernise it. To be honest, I mean, I suppose you can't cling to it forever. It's not like the most vibrant area, but it's a massive shame for all journalists. But I love the I love the fact that we're all still called Fleet Street journalists, even though no one's actually on Fleet Street anymore.
1: Yeah, well, if they touch the Art Deco uh, reception of the Express Building, I'm going down there and doing a dirty protest. Uh, and alongside uh, Charlotte, we welcome back a man who is no stranger to taking on the status quo. Yes, 30 years on, still making those references, everybody. It's Radio's Trevor Dan. Hello, Trevor.
3: Hello, Ollie. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. There are surely countless demolished buildings lying in the wake of your career. Uh, oh.
3: but which, <laughs> which, Some which... of them I've personally uh, taken a hammer to, or wish I had. Um, <laughs> which ones Yeah, you I mean Eggton House, of course, uh, where I worked at Radio 1 twice. Uh, is now the John Peel wing of New Broadcasting House. I suppose that's the most familiar. And what was GLR is now uh, some flats on Marlivan High Street.
1: And Nevermind TV Centre, which is a a block of flats and a Soho house, isn't it? Does it make you sad or do you think it doesn't really matter because we can all clearly make media in our sitting rooms?
3: Well, it doesn't make me sad at all because um, most of those buildings were pretty horrid, actually um and, and anyway i'd much rather be sitting here in west cambridge looking out at trees than in any of those places also joining us
1: is immediate media's rebecca messina you should think about getting a radio jingle for that
0: <laughs> yeah maybe trevor can help me with that
1: <laughs> i understand rebecca you are about to launch a new podcast on may the 3rd how exciting do tell us about it
0: yeah, so it launches on Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, it's called The Retrospectors. And basically a panel of uh, unlearned <laughs> hosts are going to be discussing a new event in history every day. So it'll be kind of an on this day, but of slightly quirky out of the way thing. So it won't be the fall of the Berlin Wall, it'll be the invention of Hawaiian pizza.
1: That sounds like a brilliant idea for a podcast. Whoever came up with it is obviously a genius.
0: Ollie, you're being, you're being a coy lovey now because you know very well that you are on this podcast. So it will be you and me and Arian and McNichol who listeners may potentially remember from uh, We All Used To Do, the Week Unwrapped podcast together.
1: Yes, and you can find that by searching for The Retrospectors Wherever you Get Your Podcast. There you go. Uh, well, uh, since we are talking podcasts, um, let's dive straight into the big news of the week, which happens to be all about podcasting this week, Firstly, uh, as Matt Deegan predicted on the show six weeks ago, Apple and now Spotify have launched subscription services for users of their podcast apps. So he was correct when he said that the terminology of follow was being deployed so that subscribe could mean... Can you give us some money, please? Uh, Rebecca, what do you think that means for podcasters?
0: Uh, well, it's interesting, isn't it? I think that that Apple and Spotify have gone down slightly different routes, especially with regard to how the podcast content creator's relationship is going to play out. Um in the Apple are going to be charging 30% of revenue for the first year and then 15% afterwards and Spotify have kind of gone the opposite way and they're going to charge nothing for the first, I think it's the first two years and then they're going to take 5%. So on the surface, that does look like a better deal, but crucially, um, neither one is going to be um, forcing podcasters to be, to take on exclusive contracts so you will still be able to have subscriber models on across all of those platforms so yeah it'll be interesting to see see what happens and how many um not just individual podcasts but podcasting channels decide to start relationships with both platforms or maybe one will emerge victorious and trevor do
1: you think audio producers like you i mean particularly independent ones on a stretch budget with limited time are going to make the extra audio, though, because that's what it is, isn't it? If you've established that the main product is free, you can't now really start charging people for that. You have to provide something additional. There's no money up front for that. So you could end up actually paying more and covering your costs.
3: It does seem to me to be um, an added layer of complication in terms not only of how you get monetized if you make some... Podcasting, but also how people find you. You know, I, I I hear all the reasons given by Spotify and Apple for saying this will actually make discovery easier, but I'm not entirely sure that's true. And we are now submerged in podcasts, are we not? I mean, you and I only made a show for Radio Four about podcasts. How many years ago was that? Ten. And uh, at that yeah. point, we were having to explain really what one was, mm-hmm. and we we. Uh, we looked forward to a time when people, um, the, the, you know, like um, people who've become ACAST, but also Apple and Spotify, w- would pay us in the same way that the BBC uh, might commission us to make podcasts. That still seems a long way off. You know, if you're a big name, you can parlay that into a big fee. But if you're a new um, podcaster with a new idea, I don't see that any of these... As new schemes are going to help you reach an audience.
1: And Charlotte, this would have been tremendously welcome, I guess, for those kind of podcasters a decade ago, uh, because there was no revenue stream. But in the meantime, in the intervening 10 years, podcasters have found their own ways to support themselves. You can donate to The Media Podcast at themediapodcast.com, everybody. Um, so if you have your own system set up with Patreon or Moonclerk or your own built URL, it's kind of complicated to port it over now.
2: I mean, yeah, the whole system is complicated. I think what lots of different types of media have proved over the, over the past couple of years is that people will pay for content that they are passionate about or interested in. And, but equally, like advertising hasn't actually been a huge revenue stream for podcasting yet. We had a story on Press Gazette this week that um, it's finally going to break $1 billion uh in the US uh this year, basically. Um, and that's eighty million people listening to a podcast every week. Like it's it's been a fairly slow growth in the market. Um but it feels like over the past year or two, like the big um media players have finally started taking podcasts seriously and now they want they want their slice of the pie and they are very much taking it.
1: <laughs> and if if they really do, Trevor, I mean you do sort of wonder whether Apple only sort of pulled their finger out because Spotify were going to.
3: Don't you feel that? I mean, we're going to talk about BT Sport. You know, there, there is a kind of sense with all these big companies that they've got to be in it to stop somebody else being in it. Uh, so they're going to gobble up a bit of audio real estate or television real estate just to make sure that the guy down the road doesn't have it. Um, I, I do think, though, um, the, the whole business of making a podcast is gloriously amateurish. Now, I obviously, you know, I make some money, not as much as you do, and not as much as you know companies like something else do. Um, we can monetize podcasting, but I would be sad if the development of the sort of schemes that we're now seeing means the end of of the, you know, the podcast in the bedroom and the shed. Because I think some of the best creative uh, and disrupting ideas have come from that. Uh, world, and I think just the fact that there might be more money being invested in podcasts doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be a lot better. But then I suppose you could have said all
1: this, Rebecca, couldn't you, before the launch of the App Store? You could have said, "Oh, this is going to ruin the kind of punky startups." And actually, you know, the App Store is a kind of glorious free for all, and and good stuff can rise to the top, however it's developed. So yeah, maybe having a funding mechanism through the big brands doesn't mean you've sold out
0: no not necessarily and i do think that podcasting although it has become more professionalized obviously massively over the last few years it does remain probably the most accessible way into mainstream like media exposure for the average person obviously there is the initial investment if you want to get that good quality you need to invest in the right equipment etc but that is a relatively small cost compared to you know you can't the average person can't make their own tv show um and if your content is good and you are able to meet a minimum threshold of audio quality, you have every chance of being discovered and maybe taking off and becoming the next big thing. And the, although the landscape for monetizing podcasts is becoming more complicated and contested, it's still relatively simple to set up a Patreon or something like that. So I do think it remain a very meritocratic, egalitarian way of getting into the media that that otherwise wouldn't be accessible to, to the average enthusiast. I
1: do wonder, Trevor, just as well at the back of your head as a content maker, whether in your call to action in the show, you are saying come and subscribe to us on Spotify you then wonder whether that will affect your chances of being featured on Apple podcasts and vice versa like both companies are claiming that you know they're not going to punish you for being across both platforms but in reality you know if you made a big thing on your show about we're on
3: Spotify follow us on Spotify you're not going to be on the front page of Apple podcasts are you why would you be? I wouldn't have thought so. And isn't that what tends to happen with these kind of media that start in that sort of punky way, as you said, and then you, 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 you get into that terrible world of, you know, other platforms are available kind of thing. Um, I think there's a lot to play out here. And, uh, as soon as money came into podcasting, you knew that it would ultimately come down as commercial radio has to there being two or three big operators. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just what happens in, in media and certainly in, in sound media. And I, I, I agree with you. I think in the end, you'll probably, if you're a reasonably successful podcaster, have to nail your colours to one of the masts, but not all of them. And Charlotte,
1: do you think the freemium model, because that's what this is, is going to ultimately be the thing that digital journalism uses as well? Have something for free, but subscribe for more. You know, like DMGT are trying with Mail Plus, like The Guardian are encouraging you to do by donating. Or, (laughs) or maybe it's an and-or, is it more a case of paywalling your content like the New York Times and the FT, or giving it away?
2: I mean, there's a very... Big case at the moment for just hard subscriptions. Like the Telegraph have just announced their results and they're doing so well and digital subscriptions up. Um, I can't remember exactly, but like hugely. Um, and Times, FT, New York Times, as you say, all doing really well. Um, and people have moved away from that freemium model. Like even Telegraph, for example, used to give you more free articles than you get now. Lots of them have. Reduce the amount of free articles you get now. Um, but personally, I, I see the argument for that sort of giving you a bit more, um, free content and then choosing what the premium content is. Um, if only because of this, um, debate around fake news and who, um, who gets, um, quality news basically. And so if all of the quality news providers are behind, hard paywalls um there are going to be huge sections of society who are missing out on on that trusted news and just getting their news from easy free places you know just stuff being shared on facebook etc it's like a huge concern um throughout the industry at the moment so um um i definitely think there's an argument for making sure those people can get enough quality news for free.
1: So if there isn't an analogy with uh, what used to be print media, Rebecca, I wonder if there is finally on this an analogy with any other kind of audio content. I mean, Audible maybe is a bit like this, isn't it? I suppose what I'm trying to get at is how much would the average punter be prepared to pay to listen to their favourite podcast? Because Apple and Spotify are claiming, you know, maybe $4.99 a month in dollars. But if you've got five favorite shows, that's more than you're paying for your Spotify premium subscription well, for music. Yeah, I mean for it, all the music
0: ever. <laughs> that's the thing that the, the, I guess the the issue with the comparison with news media is that most people, you know, over the age of twenty, do have some kind of mental connection with the idea that you pay money to receive news. Like the the, the newspaper has not completely gone from the popular consciousness. Um, whereas podcasts are, are something that have always been free and you know, Spotify, um, Apple, etc. They are stuck in that position of it's that thing of like podcasts are so they're becoming so influential. They've got so many listeners. But how do you incentivize people to pay for something that they're used to getting for free? And it's kind of the same thing that happened with um, music streaming, even though obviously, you know, before that people bought CDs, bought records, etc. But the idea that you could stream as much music as you wanted for free became so ingrained that it has taken Spotify years to like build people back up to this idea of, no, you do need to pay in order to get this content. And I think you know Apple and Spotify, et cetera, would be really happy a few years down the line to have exclusive Spotify-only, Apple-only subscriber podcasts. But it's just a case of readying people for that.
1: Okay, let's talk about one of the other players uh, in this world, which is Stitcher. Uh, Because one of the big successes of listener-supported podcasts has been Roman Mars and his show 99% Invisible. Uh, And news broke this week that he has sold his company, which makes 99% Invisible and a few associated shows, to Stitcher. (laughs) Trevor, you mentioned the show that we made for Radio 4. We made a show a few years before that for Five Live, I think about 11 years ago, (laughs) when we interviewed Roman Mars about having raised $170,000 on Kickstarter, because he was really breaking new ground by founding Radiotopia, uh, ultimately doing everything independently. Were you surprised that he, of all people, has basically sold up?
3: I'm a big fan of Roman Mars and uh, the the whole... um, spin off of of the other work that he's done uh, encouraging other podcasters ninety nine percent invisible isn't perhaps the thing it was but it it's always something i try to listen to every every edition and and of course i don't want to lose it i don't want to lose it's what we said earlier it's kind of punky quality and you know he's got that Background, isn't he, in that uh, kind of punky music world? Um, it felt that it wasn't beholden to anybody. It felt that it was a product where he could say or do anything he liked, and and did. And I, that's what always concerns me when I see, you know, the big dollar bills. On the other hand, he is such a good guy that I suspect he will deploy some of his new wealth on um, promoting um, other uh, podcasts that he likes and, uh, you know, creating other businesses that will hopefully do as well as his. I hope he doesn't lose sight of 99% Invisible itself as a podcast. Maybe, because he does say, doesn't he, in his interview that he's going to be able to concentrate more on the audio production than the business. So maybe that's going to turn out to be a good thing. I hope so.
1: And the serious bit of it, Sirius XM, so satellite radio in the United States, it's a huge deal in the USA, isn't it? And that is people paying for radio, but it's never there's no equivalent model over here, is there? It's difficult to even compare it to anything.
3: It's very interesting. If I mean, it's a few years, isn't it, since we were able to travel at all? But um, if you go to America and you rent a decent car and it's got Sirius XM XF in, XF in it. Isn't it amazing what you find yourself listening to? Not just audio streams and not just radio shows, but what in the UK we just naturally call podcasts, but which are streamed. And I think th- that's a, a, a much bigger route to market for Americans than it is for us. And I, th- I think it will put him, you know, if he's. Going to um, still have a role in in that company and its strategy. I think it, you know it might put, give him even more, you know, personal um, power uh, within the business than he's got now.
1: But it's also interesting, Sirius XM, isn't it? Because it's so niche. You know, they've huge listenership on some of their channels, but you know, some of their channels will be Elvis's love songs, and that's all they'll play. Which is kind of the promise for DAB here, which never really happened.
3: Well, it's never happened. Don't get me going on boom radio. Um, But no, isn't it lovely? You You can get into a car in America and you can put in, I don't know, Tom Petty, and you can get twenty-four-seven Tom Petty tracks. Some people might think that was hell, but <laughs> others would 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 relish it. We don't seem to have gone down that road yet here, which uh, which I, I think is a shame.
1: I mean, since you invited me not to, I feel like I have to get you going on Boom Radio a bit. <laughs> are you not impressed?
3: <sighs> it's uh, it's such a shame for for me. Boom Radio is this station that's aimed at baby boomers, and at I'm you one, are one of them. I am one of them, and it's also run by two very old friends of mine, uh, David Lloyd, one of which I've known since the 1970s. I don't think the music they play is bad, and in fact, the fact that they've got such a, a wide playlist compared with some of those other oldie stations is to be applauded. But I think it's such a shame that they've put all that wonderful, timeless music into a world of 1960s audio imaging. It's like saying... Uh, We're going to show you this nice painting by David Hockney, and we're going to hang it on the wall next to some ceramic ducks, and we're going to put an old gas fire underneath it, just to make you uh, conscious of the fact that it was painted many decades ago. I wish they'd made their imaging a bit more modern. I wish they'd got some younger uh, presenters. That's what's wrong with it for me. It's like a museum, but it'll probably prove quite popular with folks on their way to death. It's interesting, isn't (laughs) it, Rebecca?
1: That you were on the show when um, we were talking about Boom Radio launching and you were saying, you know, your hope for their lineup was that they don't forget that, for example, women and people of color existed in the 1960s. You were concerned that the presentational style would sound like the Radio 1 of the 1960s.
2: Well,
0: yeah, and that's, a, that's interesting what you're saying, Trevor, because it's that thing, isn't it, of are you trying to commemorate the music of the time and just concentrate on wow weren't these amazing bands weren't these amazing singer-songwriters etc or is it a station-wide tribute to the wider culture and society of that time period because that's a very different product isn't it and I would hope probably has a more limited appeal than you know people of all ages who would tune in to hear really great music. A lot can happen
3: in
2: three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA-approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.
1: In the future, who will decide how our story is told? Told, told, What swagger he had? What style? (laughs) No, grim. 1770 was grim, and it's better now. Who will be there to record?
3: In uncomfortable detail, the curious moments in history that should never be forgotten.
1: Well, the fact that he had a painting depicting her with five breasts in his office that he occasionally threw darts at. I mean,
0: that doesn't seem like the sort of thing that you naturally do because you hate somebody.
1: (laughs) Now we have the answer. And their names will be celebrated in every country,
3: on every weekday, except some bank holidays.
1: The speedboat was piloted by a Womble. Look at this and Marvel, I murmured to Johnny Walker. You will never see anything like this again. (laughs) They are Ali, Rebecca and Arian, otherwise known as the Retrospectors. Available to download May 3rd. All right, let's uh, talk about telly now. And plans for News UK's ambitious new TV news service have been scaled back. It was reported this week. It was reported this week by you, Charlotte, so tell us what the story is.
2: I have quibbled slightly, actually, with the fact that this is a new revelation this week. Um, I reported in February that um, News UK were uh, going streaming only and it wasn't going to be a channel, but that didn't really seem to be picked up then. But um, I understand why it's a big story now is because this memo from Rebecca Brooks has leaked Um basically saying that they'd found um, in a review that a dedicated news TV channel would not be commercially viable, um, which is obviously a particularly interesting point right now when we're gearing up for the launch of GB News, um, yes. which is also a dedicated news channel. Um,
1: you do wonder if that memo landed on Andrew Neil's desk as well.
2: I mean, we, we spoke to um, some analysts uh, a few months ago um, uh, you know, to ask about the prospects financially. And this was more GB News in particular. And they're sort of saying mainstream news, not really. But if there's some sort of specialist angle that um makes it a bit different and gives it that specialist edge, then actually advertisers may have more of an interest in that. So it kind of, we're still waiting to see what angle GB News takes, really.
1: Well, I'm going to push back on your own pushing back that your own story isn't topical, because (laughs) the other thing that it contained was the revelation that the former Fox exec, David Rhodes, is leaving the company as well. Yes, true. So that is new, isn't it? So he's left, like as you say, many months ago, they said it's going to be a stream-only service. But obviously, he was clinging on to it being a bit more than that, because now he's leaving.
2: Yes, very good point. Yeah, obviously. um, And this is why we we decided to still cover it, because um, it wasn't just about the memo. As you say, um, David Ray's was brought in as this massive player. He was head of broadcasting. He was a huge dog in US TV news and he was coming here and everyone thought, you know, always oh, going to, you know, try and do the same thing and Fox News esque. And then quietly that project has been wound down. Um, and it, it, it's interesting. That, I mean, they said that he was still sort of, um, uh, be on board with News Corp in terms of um, sort of advising on on what they're up to. But um, yeah, it, it definitely demonstrates a massive scaling back of what their original intentions were. I mean, I know,
1: Rebecca, that the kind of target viewer for this channel, if that's what we're calling it, or stream or whatever it is, probably isn't aware of all these behind the scenes machinations pre-launch. But nonetheless, it sort of feels a bit like News UK have lost control of the PR on this. It feels now rather than being this kind of red-blooded, testosterone fueled place that Piers Morgan should want to go to host The Breakfast Show, it sort of feels a bit like it's a doomed project.
0: Yeah, but it's bonkers, isn't it? You know, according to reports, they'd already got the studios lined up, they'd started rehearsing some content, and now it's all just, you know, the plug's being pulled on the whole thing. I do wonder, it's difficult... Well, the
1: plug's being pulled on half of it.
0: Well, I do know, the thing is, it's difficult to know... Really, I think if you're looking at it from their perspective, the kind of content and perspective you'd be putting out on a politicized news channel, you're aiming at the kind of audience who probably are still watching TV, but at the same time, they want to be in and of the future, which is... Moving obviously towards streaming, but then it's like, are, is the audience for them there as well? Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tricky one, and also I do wonder if it's something to do with it's like again bringing in David Rhodes. What works in America? How many times have we seen it not work here? Like the whole thing towards local TV stations, and also what, what Trevor was saying about the XM and how we we don't have an equivalent here. I do wonder if it's just about scale. You know, like people have tried so many times to set up local TV channels. But they've just never really, uh, with, you know, apologies to London Live and Bristol Live, etc. You know, they they just haven't taken off. And I I do wonder if there just aren't enough people to make things like that viable.
1: Yeah. Also, Trevor, it was interesting to see Rebecca Brooks referring specifically to all the visualised radio content that the company are creating as part of her statement on this. Because you do wonder, like, how different is it really to have a live-streamed version of The Sun newspaper as a TV channel, which is this concept, to what they're already doing now, which is HD live-streamed cameras of talk radio, which has essentially become The Sun radio.
3: Absolutely right. And all they need now is Roland Rat, and the story is complete. <laughs> uh, no, but you're actually uh, absolutely right. I, I've been thinking this about GB News as well, that... Um, when it when it starts you know is there going to be enough of an audience in the UK only for yet another news channel it's easy to say oh yes well you know everybody in Hartlepool will be tuning in because they're all right-wingers now I'm not sure I, uh, I, I, I don't think so and I, I suspect that um, they've looked at the numbers at uh, News UK and just thought, well, we're not uh, doing terribly well with talk radio, with Virgin. I mean, none of their big ideas have really taken off, have they? And this could have been another money pit.
1: I suppose the comparison with the States, uh, Charlotte, is also about extremities, isn't it, and what you're allowed to get away with on air. Um, You know, in print it's different, and the News UK titles are obviously great examples of pushing the envelope as far as it will go, (laughs) apart from when they land in court. Uh, but on telly, you know, Ofcom regulates things, and we already have in that space the BBC and Sky and LBC basically pushing things as far as you can go. That's as far as you can go. <laughs> you can't do the extreme version if you're not allowed to. I
2: mean, what's interesting is that... Um... In radio, we do have like talk radio and LVC where it feels like individual shows do push the envelope a bit more. But obviously they, um, they take the view of due impartiality across the whole, either the whole show. So you've got an opinionated presenter and then, um, sort of debating with guests or callers or even across, um, the, the half day or day programming. So it could be that, um, GB news tries out that, which isn't really done on TV yet. But um, that relies
1: on people with a different view calling up, doesn't it? I mean, that's the thing about having a, a wide-scale FM transmission that you've had for 40 years, is you know that that wide audience is there. But, you know, if you're going to watch Gordon Smart, you probably agree with Gordon Smart.
2: I mean, true. Just on the G- on GB News, uh, rather than News UK, I would say, actually, that um, their presenters they've announced so far are much more diverse than people seem to think. People are very much picturing um, lots of... White men doing Fox News. And actually, mm. you know, there are, um, as a fair number of women, including, um, several, I think two or three at least, um, women of colour. Um, it's not as like old and stodgy, stodgy as people are picturing, um, in that sense. Um, but, um, yeah, just on News UK way, you, because you've just mentioned Gordon Smart, I just wanted to point out that obviously the one streaming show they've, um, Announced so far is this entertainment talk show, uh, news to me, um, the, uh, with the former Scottish Sun editor, Gordon Smart. So the fact that that was the first one they've decided to go with and, um, and announce felt to me like they were trying to say, we are different to GB News. We're doing entertainment news. This is all glitzy. It felt more sun-esque, um, than anything GB News seems to be going for so far.
3: Just quickly, we were. We're recording this on the day that it's been announced that John Snow's leaving Channel 4 News. I wonder which members of the GB News roster rather regretting leaping so soon. And perhaps they might, uh, if they were still around, be available for his uh, old job.
1: Yeah, I wonder if some of them are still sending emails anyway. <laughs> I'm just thinking a lawyer can work it out afterwards. It must be quite complex, that. Let's cover some more media news in brief now. And Channel 5, um, not the Yorkshire vet, which appears to be on in my sitting room whenever I'm not there. I can't walk through the house without seeing a prolapsed sheep's anus. It seems to be my wife's viewing of choice <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but instead, the reality star Charlotte Crosby, who has gone public over a row with TV indie Cracket Productions, over their recent documentary for the channel Celebrities What Happened to Your Face, Rebecca, what happened to what happened to your face?
0: It's almost like something you'd see in a sketch show parodying exploitative Channel Five TV formulas. Um, So they chose Charlotte Crosby as the as the subject of their program. What happened to your face? um, Whereby a panel of experts analysed the ups and downs of Charlotte Crosby's face, and it should be pointed out the rest of her as well. There were lots of pictures of her at various weights with commentary, etc. It has received a backlash on social media. I don't know how much it's been. I don't know how like aware the average non, you know, Twitter obsessive person is. But it does strike me as something that does jar in today's environment, even though, you know, Channel 5 have obviously, um, have obviously established reputation for this kind of thing. It does strike me as something that is actually a little bit beyond the the pale of where ordinarily you'd even expect Channel 5 to draw the line. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, actually, I think it's kind of unfortunate for Channel 5, Charlotte, because, yeah, they had a reputation for this kind of thing. Um, but as I say, like now it's the Yorkshire Vet, and it's quite cuddly and it's lots of shows that they've nicked from other channels. And, you know, BBC stars, Michael Palin and, you know, GPs behind closed doors. It's all quite blue chip. And this just looks grubby.
2: Yeah, it's so true. Um, to add to your list, I think they're going to like relaunch eggheads, aren't they? It's, that's so that's very, very different. Um, what I've, what struck me about it, um, is firstly two things, the sort of mental health side of it. Um, Charlotte Crosby saying that her agent raised the effect it would have on her mental health when they first were at the commissioning stage. And obviously they sort of didn't engage with that any further and went ahead. Um, and there's been all this sort of hashtag be kind stuff in the re- reality TV industry. Um, and then this sort of thing just seems like the absolute opposite of that. Um, and then also the fact that, um, or linked to that, um, Ofcom's been, um, creating these duty of care guidelines, like for people participating in programs. But then obviously Charlotte Crosby wasn't participating in this, but it was very much about her. But then like, where is that duty of care?
1: Well, that's that's the interesting distinction, isn't it, Trevor? I think all the big mainstream channels now accept they have a duty of care to participants in the reality shows they produce. Do they have a duty of care to the subjects of documentaries that are being talked about in the third person? I mean, we're talking about Charlotte Crosby obliquely here. I haven't tweeted her and asked if it's all right. I mean, at some point, you have to allow commentary, don't you? Even vicious commentary.
3: Well, I think, you know, the biter is bit. You know, re- reality television, so-called does throw up these stories, doesn't it? And um, many producers have been found to be careless in the way that they treat these human beings as characters in some kind of soap opera that they create. I, uh, I'm afraid I'd never heard of this um, woman until you uh, said we were discussing her. I'm sorry for what they've done to her. and, and it, 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 It's horrid. And, and if, they've ref- if they're not showing it now, that's good. But you are a
1: producer of programmes. You know, you could easily find yourself in a situation where, as part of, say, an hour-long documentary you're making for Six Music about, I don't know, Patty Smith or Debbie Harry or something, someone comments articulately about their appearance in a way that that woman would find demeaning or offensive or triggering. That doesn't mean it shouldn't be broadcast. I mean, this is obviously a very salacious title that Channel 5 went with, but you, it, they are yes, in I the think, public eye.
3: I, I, th- I think the scale of that is 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 different you know if somebody calls adele fat or indeed thin uh, and that's relevant to whatever they're saying uh, that's different from basing an entire hours program on what some um, uh, you know plastic surgeons have done to this poor woman's face i think it is a question of scale and i if if they didn't ask her permission to do this then i think that was a, a very underhand thing to do well it appears didn't do that i don't
1: know if they asked permission of the agent but her agent certainly got wind of it and intervened and said please don't make this and they ignored yeah. that
3: i th- well that's that's just <laughs> that's disrespectful and discourteous isn't it of, of any human being whatever they look like but okay. whatever show they've been in there's kind of two hypocrisies at
1: work it seems to me charlotte there's the hypocrisy of the broadcasters backing mental health initiatives and then commissioning shows like this. But there is also, if we're being honest, the hypocrisy of the general public who click on items like this on Mail Online on a daily basis. And in fact, the journalists in a lot of digital media that have complained about this TV show, whose own publications, do this article. I mean, a TV show hammers you over the head for an hour with the subject. But I mean, there are articles devoted to Charlotte Crosby's face, many hundreds of them.
2: I mean... That is so true, and it's the sort of thing where uh, I always just think about how the public like to criticise publications for doing certain types of stories. But then, I mean, Mail Online is like one of the biggest websites in the world, and sidebar of shame, as people call it, is a quite a big part of that. Like, you know, they're not doing it for no reason. You're clicking on it. If you don't want it, don't click on it. So <laughs> there is demand for it, sadly, still as much as people argue against
1: it let's talk about sport now and bt are looking for new partners for their bt sport brand the channel has been sky's main rival for years billions have been poured into the venture in order to keep its broadband customers uh, trevor did the technique work as as long as it lasted
3: well i like bt sport you know i i have to say that i pay for it and i like jack humphries i like a lot of what they do i think we didn't really need it you know sky was fine And I don't think that BT's uh, coverage of, of football, which is what I'm particularly interested in, has necessarily made Sky's coverage any better. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the guys on Sky still wear ties most of the time and the guys on BT don't, but I can't see much difference apart from that. They've been very good at it. They do terrific coverage and, um, I will miss them, but of course they won't not be there. They'll be taken over by somebody, won't they? And I've, I've read the same articles you have saying, well, you know, maybe Amazon who, who dipped a toe into the Premier League uh, for the last couple of seasons, maybe they'd want to take a bigger stake. Um, it's always seemed to me to be a bit of a complex market play for BT uh, uh, as a platform to want to own and create all this content when there were perfectly other people wanting uh, to do that who were really good at it. Um, so I- I'll miss them, but I imagine they'll be back with a new name and the same people and the same uh, TV crews very shortly after they closed down.
1: Do you think Rebecca Amazon would be interested in buying what you still might call a linear sports broadcasting proposition? I mean, they can stream it themselves on Prime. If they want awareness on Sky Sports, they can just sponsor the football. Why go through the ball ache of actually <laughs> you know, owning a channel? just seems unnecessary.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, they are apparently in the running, so they obviously have got some kind of concept of what they might do with it, but it's not... It's not necessarily the most attractive proposition in the world, is it? Because you're essentially buying the right to keep bidding for the rights in the future. And I can understand why, you know, the fluctuations that have happened. I mean, obviously, what's been going on with COVID over the last year, hopefully, is a once in a lifetime occurrence. But, you know, the. The upheaval that's caused. And then the stuff for the European Super League as well. It's just a reminder that things are constantly churning and changing in the sports world. And I can understand why uh, businesses might not necessarily want to get deeply involved in it.
1: Let's move on to talk about the UK awards news from the past fortnight. The TV BAFTAs and the radio ARIAs have been announced. Uh, Charlotte, any highlights from the BAFTAs that you'd like to flag up?
2: Mostly that, uh, lots of like nice women and people of color, um, nominations. It definitely feels like it's getting more diverse. Um, I may destroy you obviously was a highlight of the past year. Um, amazing show. Um, but that's
1: a crucial distinction, isn't it? It doesn't feel like a box ticking exercise. Those people have all been nominated because those were extraordinary shows. And we are actually finally at that point where shows featuring women and people of color are, you know, as good and the best.
2: Yes, which is like the ideal situation because you hate it when you feel like, People are just being nominated because they need to tick that box. And then, although they, you know, they might be good, but there are other people massively missing out. It did. There was no one I really thought was missing out because of these other shows. Um, there's also obviously small acts, um, which was, you know, I don't think anyone had really seen anything like that before on like Sunday night BBC. Um, yeah, and also um, it was really lovely to see Paul Ritter nominated, obviously, for Friday Night Dinner, which um, was one of my lockdown binge watches, And so um, <laughs> I thought it was a, a I, I presume, or I hope he was on the nomination list before his death, but it was just lovely to see him there now.
1: Mm. And Trevor, from the Radio Academy nominations, the Arias... Any picks for us?
3: Well, the main noticeable thing, as always, is that unfortunately half of commercial radio, in the form of global radio, is not playing ball again. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it's such a shame for the people who work for global, many of whom are hugely talented, that they can't compete against Bauer and also the BBC and you know win some gongs. And we used to say, well, you know, global don't want to waste money on a you know a big uh, you know event at the Dorchester or wherever it was, but actually it. It costs top and and you just sit in your bedroom looking at a zoom camera now. So it's not, it, it, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, why, why do they, as a matter of of some sort of perverted principle, not allow their their people to compete? I don't get it. Um, I think it's well, but we know the answer
1: to that. I mean, that's not a rhetorical <laughs> question. The answer is because they have their own project, which is called the Global Awards, which. Are sort of seen as a vanity project by everybody else, but they're persisting with it.
3: Well, the BBC has its own awards, but it still takes part in the in the ARIAs. Um, I think the big the the best news. I don't know whether you were going to mention this anyway, but the best news is that Sam Bailey is taking over running the Radio Academy, which of course is the uh, uh, the organisation behind the ARIAs, what we used to call the Sony Awards. Mm. Um, it's and a, that's the job that
1: you previously have held. So what's- I, yeah. Tell us about him and uh, tell us what you're going to tell him over a beer.
3: Well, it, it, it's changed a lot since my day because in those days Global were members and everybody was a member. I think what's really changed is that um, it was... The old Radio Academy had the feeling that it wanted to be the Edinburgh Television Festival. It wanted to be a place where you could be from Channel 4 or ITV or the BBC and you just talked television. You talked about your strategy, you shared ideas, you commented on one another's work. And then uh, a a new regime came in which said, no, you can't do that. The Radio Academy is not for airing your dirty linen in public, which is what Tim Davies said to me. Uh, It's for uh, advertising the industry. And so that's why, it, it I mean, in my view, it went down a hole for some years. And I'm glad that people like Sam Bailey are throwing their hat into the ring and bringing it back to be something of the convivial organisation that it used to be. Sam is, a, actually, when I took over the Radio Academy, Sam was there, he was a student, and he was uh, doing the website. So he's got a long history with it. He's been running the audio content fund briefly. He's a very talented Producer, worked for the BBC for years. Above all, he's a good bloke, and everyone likes Sam, and he's much, much more involved in the industry than his two predecessors, and I think he'll do a great job in raising its profile and bringing it back to something of what it used to be.
1: Yeah, do you think being a programme maker is important? You know, or having been a program maker.
3: For I, well, I do reason. because I think that's that's how you, you get to understand the, the, your members. You know, those are the people you want to join. You know, the people who pay the money often are the directors who may may not be program makers, but the people for whom it exists, for whom it has to use that terrible old-fashioned word fellowship, which we don't d- use anymore. You know, but it is in a way. It's in a way. It's the kind of British Legion of of audio, and uh, it's it's for those people and and uh, th- 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 being able to speak their language is I think a very good thing.
1: Rebecca, back to the awards situation. I don't know if you saw the Oscars or if you were one of those uh, record low numbers of people that didn't. <laughs> but do you think anyone's managed to crack away of doing a COVID compliant awards ceremony that's actually interesting to watch if you're not nominated?
0: Um, no, not really. I mean, I think uh, um, lots of the people who normally would have been bums on seats at the ceremony were probably among those not tuning in um, you know there were certain elements of it so the introduction you know, when Regina King came in and it was almost done as like a credit sequence where you almost felt like oh I see they're going to go with something a bit different but it just it just doesn't really work does it and having people I understand why they put in the zoom ban and I actually think that was probably the right decision but at the same time, it's just the atmosphere just isn't there, is it? But this is like far from the first time there's been an underwhelming Oscars ceremony and the the problems with it uh, have been going on for years now. And it does seem to be just sort of peeling away from from relevance. And
1: what about, I mean, is this a slightly obscure point possibly, Charlotte? But I noticed watching the Oscars, the lack of clips. You know, usually you watch the Academy Awards and you get to see a bit of all of the movies. And they'd obviously made a deliberate decision, Steven Soderbergh and the team, to tell the stories of the people involved. So instead of seeing a clip, as the nominee was shown on the screen, it would say, you know, Jason worked his way up from serving in McDonald's to then becoming an accountant at, you know, 20th Century Fox. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but I still don't know what they're winning an award for, really.
2: (laughs) Also, I think the the major point of that is that there's been a pandemic on for the past year. Cinemas have been shut in lots and lots of places. Not everything has gone on... um, uh, you know, Amazon Prime or Netflix, um, or at least not in the UK and the US or vice versa, etc. So like, actually, loads of people haven't seen the films this year compared to the amount of people that will have seen them in normal years. I mean, um, I think Nomadland, which won Best Picture has only just come on Disney Plus here. And that's even if it's just Disney Plus, that's a tiny proportion of the number that might then want to see it on the cinema. You know, so, um, it did feel a shame that you can't taste it a bit more outside of just. W- w- the trailer you might have already seen, considering we've all been stuck at home not being able to go to the cinema.
1: I suppose the argument, Trevor, is, oh, it's the 21st century. If you're really interested, you can go to YouTube and watch a bit of the film. But it's the same problem with the Radio Academy, isn't it? You sit there at the awards ceremony and you're not hearing any radio. Someone's winning an award for something. You might not know who they are. You don't recognise them because it's audio.
3: I know. Uh, back in the Sony's, they did used to play clips. I don't know really you remember, but uh, the, uh, everybody kept talking. Uh, you know <laughs> uh, that, that 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 didn't really work. Um, I f- I feel I've attended too many of these Zoom based events already. Don't you? I haven't attended one, but then that tells you that there's a fatigue, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh,
1: In other radio news, it's been announced that Annie Mack is leaving Radio 1 in May as part of a shake-up at the youth station that moves Clara Ampho to evenings. Uh, Rebecca, who's coming in in her place mid-mornings?
0: Ricky Melvin and Charlie are going to be taking on that slot. Um, And yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Like. Annie mac has been there for what 17 years and I'm 30 so she's been there you know basically ever since I was interested in music though I should be upfront and admit that I was never I was never a cool radio one listener I was like brought up in the cult of radio Two, so I, I kind of stayed in that even in my teenage years but yeah I've got <laughs> like she's an icon to you know I've got friends who work in radio now and Annie Mac was like a massive icon to them like I've even got a friend who has a tattoo of her on her thigh.
1: Wow do you think that you know, she could have stayed there as long as she wanted, like John Peel. Uh, or do you think someone at Radio 1 said, look, love, it's been 17 years, you know, go and do Radio 2 in a few years' time?
0: Well, obviously, she's never going to say in her statement, you know, I was pushed. But, you know, I think the reasons she gives, wanting to spend more time with her kids and wanting to work on a book, like, those are very natural um, progressions for someone to be to make at that age. And I do think there has been, like, maybe a wider cultural backlash against the idea of people just sitting in jobs forever, um, especially when obviously Radio 1 is obviously is very focused on trying to, you know, keep hold of that constantly churning youth audience. Um, I mean, as I
1: alluded to in the intro, Trevor, you know, you are still remembered by a certain generation as the hatchet man and replenishing Radio 1 and all of that. If you had that job now, which obviously you wouldn't because you're now 30 years too old, but if you did, what would you think about those kinds of presenters who still absolutely connect with the right audience But if they all stay on, then you've got a load of presenters in their 40s and 50s.
3: Yes, there's always that confusion, isn't there? And, you know, back when I was there, we used to do audience research, which told us that some of the youngest DJs were the ones that they didn't like. You know, so... Uh, you you would get a much more negative response for a Bruno Brooks, who was maybe 10 years older than the audience, than you would for a John Peel, who was maybe 30 years older than the audience. So just age is not important. But I do think Radio 1 has to refresh all the time. I, I honestly do. I think the same of Radio 2. I just think radio stations always get stale before you think they have. And Radio 2 has been very clever recently, like it did with Wogan in moving on, um the, you know, the great behemoths, however famous they are. And I, I suspect that somebody did have a word in Animax here, but I, I don't know. Um, personally, for me, um, she's one of the better actual broadcasters. I can't judge her. Um, choice of music at all because it's not a, a, it's not aimed at me. But as a broadcaster, I think she's fantastic and I hope she finds another home. Do you think that home will end up being
1: Radio 2? Like it seems almost everyone from Radio 1 ends up on eventually or do you think she's someone who will go to Apple or Spotify or something? I,
3: I get the impression from a press release that she just wants to stop, which is a bit of a shame, but m- maybe she has got other irons in the fire. Don't go to Apple though, only nobody will hear you.
1: And when it comes to Ricky Melvin and Charlie, Rebecca, they're obviously very solid broadcasters. They were on Kiss Breakfast for over a decade, Ricky Melvin and Charlie. But how does that fit with the BBC's mission to be an alternative to the commercial world?
0: Um, So I guess this is what happens now that there are so many commercial alternatives, not just on TV, but also um, on radio as well. You know, obviously the BBC has a responsibility to maintain its distinct identity. But at the same time, if people have options to listen to whatever they want and they are choosing to, you know, if certain commercial broadcasters are becoming more and more popular, then you know, the BBC also has a responsibility to give its listeners um, what they're looking for. And if that's the kind of thing they're looking for, then they have to, they do have to get it. And I think that is something to be said as well. You know, on TV and um, on radio, you do have the concept of, you know, a BBC broadcaster. And historically, that has looked and sounded a certain way. And I do think that while maintaining a distinct identity, the BBC is understandably trying to break out of the idea that you have to be a certain kind of person or speak or act a certain way to, to kind of meet that um, to meet that template. So there is bound to be a little bit of smudging up against the edges of those two concepts.
1: I mean, I guess the problem driver for the BBC in TV and radio is they don't want to be seen publicly or perceived to be just chasing big numbers. But the flip side of that is, if you are Ricky and Melvin, if you've spent 10 years being the best at commercial radio, but then actually you're not quite in the right environment for doing what you're doing anymore, why shouldn't you be able to go to the flagship youth music station?
3: I think the big issue for for Radio 1 remains what it was in my day, which is everybody wants you to be new and different and innovative and to bring on new talent, but then when your figures go down because you've lost all the people who anyone's ever heard of, they say your stewardship is bad because you're, you're losing audience. Uh, I think it's not a bad. Mix actually, I mean, um, Ricky Melvin and Charlie would not get a job doing what they do now on a commercial station. I'd venture to say because with those very tight playlists and restrictions about how much you can you can talk, it that's not a twenty first century UK commercial radio act. And while they've been at Radio One, I think actually they've developed. I think they're more um, they're a more attractive um, crew. see what i did there um than than they were um and uh, no i w- i wish them well and i think if you're going to lose somebody like annie you've got to put someone with a bit of um heft in that slot otherwise you're just throwing listens away
1: and clara ranfoe probably does deliver that doesn't she after 10 she's years of fantastic doing that yeah
3: absolutely i really really like her
1: Okay, all of which brings us to the extended weekend extravaganza that is the media quiz. Uh, This week it is entitled Back You know, like backgammon, but instead of the board, two sets of 15 checkers, two pairs of dice, a doubling cube and dice cups, you'll just tell me which of these media propositions are back and which are gone. Back You'll buzz in with your name when you know the answer, so Trevor, you will say... Trevor. Rebecca, you'll say... Rebecca. And Charlotte you will say
0: Charlotte
1: It's best of 3 so let's play back Gone'n. The Guardian's if cartoon by Steve Bell Charlotte
2: sorry Charlotte
1: Yeah that's gone It has gone <laughs> yes Uh Thursday's strip was the last for a bonus point can you tell us how long it had run
2: 40
1: years Yes bang on 40 years in the Guardian Charlotte you spoke to him didn't you Steve Bell I did
2: yeah he's such a character um i actually really enjoyed speaking to him um but um I, i yeah he's very much of the view that um well i mean he's he's seen a lot of change obviously over 40 years and i think um people have become more readily offended by his stuff maybe the last couple of years i don't know if it's more that i don't know if it's that his stuff has changed but i think society's changed maybe and the editors aren't as into it as they were before and You know, obviously The Guardian's been doing lots of COVID cost-cutting, so um, it makes sense. Yeah, did you get the
1: sense that he was happy enough to carry on doing two cartoons a week for the comment section? Or did you get the sense he's actually shopping around for someone to come in and say, I will take you?
2: Uh, He definitely made it clear that if someone wanted to buy If, or, you know, if someone wanted wanted it, he would do it. Um, But also he did say, you know, he'd wanted to reduce his work for The Guardian for a while. I think, you know, he's, um, you know, not... Yeah, 40 is a long time to do one thing and he's you know growing older and i think he's he's ready to have a little bit of time back <laughs>
1: okay uh here is back gone in question number two watercolor challenge is it back charlotte. or is it gone charlotte uh
2: that's back he's coming it, to it channel five
1: correct yes the painting program is being revived by indie two four after a 20-year hiatus um, and with the wonderful Fern Britton at the helm, about whom I will not hear a word again. so let's move on. Well done, Fern. Uh, here is question number three. Is it back or is it gone? The Woman's Hour drama. Oh, Trevor, it's gone. Trevor.
3: It's gone. Trevor, It has gone. It's gone after years of campaigning by Jane Garvey. Yeah, I know, and just as she's gone, gone she's the left. Drama. Yeah, exactly. Poor, poor Jane. Not, uh, just didn't time that well. No, so they're going to, instead of... Uh, stopping at 10 to 11 uh, for a, a not very good drama um, <laughs> they're going to stop at 11 o'clock for the news um, and have 15 minutes more emma barnett and the rest of them and
1: that's it's a good thing the quiet part of the announcement of women's hour being extended to an hour is they are actually simultaneously cutting 65 hours of original drama from their budget i mean i haven't seen anything saying and we'll put on these landmark plays. I mean, it's just like drama's just gone. That's a big hit to people working in that part of the industry.
3: Well, I, I think um, the, the cutbacks of BBC Radio are very deep and some of this was announced quite a long time ago, and so we sort of thought it had happened. Mm. But actually, they were announcing what was going to happen this year and next, and so we're, we're now reaping that whirlwind. And there is absolutely no doubt, You and know, I know this with my Audio UK hat on, that the BBC is spending less. You know, a lot of the BBC radio money has gone to BBC Sounds, but uh, cumulatively there are some very swinging cutbacks not just in staff although you know there are a few people working there i mean every every time i look at twitter somebody's saying personal news i'll be leaving the bbc after yeah. 30 years um so there's, there there are a lot of people you know casualties of this but d- definitely radio drama um, has has been quite savagely attacked
1: Well, a stellar contribution, uh, Trevor, and a sobering thought, but nonetheless, Charlotte has won the quiz with her two correct answers. Congratulations, Charlotte. And the bonus point, actually. It was 3-1. I I mean, a resounding success on your debut. Um, That is it for our show for today. My thanks to Charlotte Tobit, Trevor Dan, and Rebecca Messina. Uh, The media podcast is totally independent, so if you can afford to do so, why not bung us the price of a coffee if you have enjoyed this show? There is a link to do that in the show notes. And yes, we will add... Uh, Spotify and Apple subscriptions one day, as soon as we can work out how it works. Uh, And of course, do follow us on those places to hear new episodes when they drop. I've been Ollie Man, the producers Matt Hill and Peter Price. It was a Rethink Audio and PPM production. Have a great bank holiday weekend. See you again in a fortnight. Bye-bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?